We are back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call, and we're going to talk with uh, with you, Altea Spinazzi, and uh, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Peter, and Happy New Year to all our listeners. Yes, exactly. I don't think we can say it any longer. We've said it a couple of times already, but um, it's fine. And we're going to talk about fixed income because, um, you know, we left 2023 with um, a massive rally in bond market, and I think we ended the year on, a, I would say, a rather volatile year for for bonds. It was definitely where the action was. So we had a, a couple of uh, hiccups along the way, and now we're here in 2024, and already in the first, you know, first almost two weeks now, um, we have seen the SOFA contract for December 2024 declining. So we've priced out almost one uh, rate cut, and we have seen uh, we've seen the bond yield climbing higher, um, impacted some parts of the equity market that are very sensitive to interest rates. And I think the, the big question, Eltia, is with the U.S. 10-year yield here at 4%, you know, is it is it as attractive as, as when we were back at, uh, at 5%? I mean, how, how, has the trade changed in any ways? And I think also, I mean, there's a lot of talk about inflation. We'll have the uh, U.S. inflation report tomorrow. So I think there's, um, I don't know whether anxiety is the right word, but there's a lot at stake right now in the bond market. Well, when you look at the U.S. treasuries, it really depends which kind of investor you are and uh, which kind of time horizon you have in mind. You see, uh, Bill Gross uh, uh, yesterday came out with a tweet saying that uh, he doesn't believe that uh, 10-year U.S. treasuries at 4% are appealing. And uh, the reasoning uh, that he's making as a bond um, person is uh, simply looking at uh, bond futures valuations, looking that uh, the market is not forecasting uh, rates to drop below 3.5% throughout uh, the next uh, 10 years. And uh, on average, 10-year U.S. treasuries have offered around uh, 100 basis points to 150 basis points above the Fed fund rate. So if we look at the fair valuation, the fair value of 10-year U.S. treasuries, they should be around 45 to 5%. So probably Bill Gross doesn't like them there because they are overvalued. But uh, um, Bill Gross, I assume to be an active uh, and an active invest, investor and pretty much looking at the short term. What about long-term investors? Well, there is not denying that U.S. treasuries offer an appealing yield uh, compared to what we have seen historically. And also, when compared to equities, now they are offering a real alternative. Um, Peter, I talked uh, before in uh, this podcast about uh, uh, the risk return calculations on uh, U.S. treasuries. Mm -hmm. And uh, the big point that I almost made uh, that the 10 years U.S. treasuries, uh, it's good regardless of how you look at things. So if you buy 10 years U.S. treasuries today and you assume one year Holding period, if within this time frame yields rise by 100 basis points, one would record only uh, a loss of around 2%. 
But if yields drop by 100 basis points, one would record um, 10% in in profit. So it's a good uh, instrument to have in a portfolio. It can uh, uh, be a hedge against a downturn if there is in uh, the stock market. And yes, maybe in the short term, uh, we might see yields rising because of uh, what um, bill grows and under bond people are concerned about. Uh, but for long-term investors, uh, definitely the 10 years, the safe haven, it's a must-have. Yeah, and also um, the listeners cannot see this um, this table, but I have it in front of me. And as you said, uh, 100 uh, basis points move up uh, up in the, at the yield curve uh, would mean uh, minus 2% return on the 10-year and it would be up almost 11% if it declined by 100 basis points. That also speaks into this convexity you have on the uh, on the um, an asymmetry uh, asymmetry you have in the return structure there for uh, for government bonds. So that's quite interesting. And yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what the inflation report will say. And I think tomorrow on the, in the US. But I I just finished um, an, an equities presentation with our Danish client. And I was actually quite surprised. I'll say just before we go into the quarterly outlook discussion, because we just published our quarterly outlook. I was surprised how many investors that were actually asking me this question, why should the Fed cut the rate very aggressively when, when the economy is not in a recession yet and, and things seem to be quite fine? I was just, I was just, I was a little bit um, surprised that the general sense, and this is a very small sample size, I admit that, and it was in, it's in Denmark, etc. but I was just surprised. I, I thought most people would have sort of agreed, yeah, yeah, let's just cut the interest rates, but people are like, surprised why should we cut it it doesn't seem like the economy is falling apart completely the market like you said many times uh, peter it's very divided mm. right there is uh, um, a big fa- fraction of the market uh, betting on a recession and the other part of the market uh, uh, being afraid of uh, uh, a rebound of inflation and also I believe that it's very important uh, to understand uh, that when we talk about the federal reserve to pivot the pivot might not be cutting rates. The pivot might be that we see a rebound of inflation and the Federal Reserve has to hike again. That's the real pivot. The pivot right now, yes, pivot in the meaning uh, we are going uh, from uh, a focus from inflation to growth, then it's normal that the Federal Reserve wants to recalibrate aggressive monetary policies, fine, but the real pivot would come unexpected. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's talk a little bit about our fixed income outlook because we, as I said, we published the other day our quarterly outlook. You can find it on uh, home.saxo on the inside. You can find it on our trading platforms, etc. I think it's pretty well advertised. So if you, it should be pretty obvious to where to find it uh, if you go there. Um, maybe let's go through some of the different uh, different point. Um, so one of the points is a curve normalization. So right now we still have an inverted yield curve. Um, that's not the typical uh, yield curve we have when we look over a long period. So are we going to get a curve normalization? Are we going to have an upward sloping uh, yield curve, LT? Well, 90% uh, probabilities, yes. We are going to have a steeper yield curve by the end of the uh, year and an inverted yield curve. The big question mark... So, 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 okay, so right now it's inverted, so it will be still inverted but less so. Uh, no, no, it will disinvert. Yeah, so okay, finally, okay. the front part of the yield curve will offer uh, less return than uh, the long part of the yield curve. Got and it. the big reason for that is that there is this big shift from 
inflation not perceived anymore as a real problem, at least from uh, uh, the Federal Reserve, and the focus is going to be shifted uh, to growth. But the big question mark uh, remains which kind of steepening are we having, right? Um, and when we talk about the steepening of the yield curve, we can talk about a boom steepening or a bear steepening. When we talk about a boom steepening, then the front part of the yield curve uh, uh, drops faster than the long part of the yield curve. When we talk about a bear steepening, the long part of the yield curve uh, moves up faster than the front part of the yield curve. And... Uh, these two moves, uh, movements uh, can be explained according to different kinds of scenarios that we might be presented with uh, this year. And in the quarterly outlook, I present just three. Um, so a soft landing, um, everybody talks about this soft landing, but the soft landing might not be bullish for the long part of the yield curve. Because while it is true that central banks might want to cut interest rates as um, inflation reverts to its mean, um, it is also true that they will not cut aggressively. So um, while the market is pricing six interest rate uh, uh, cuts by 2024, those might come out to be three, and therefore there is no space for the long part of the yield curve to rally. And 10 years will remain more or less where it is now or even move slightly higher. I think there was a, there was a news today that um, one of the large home builders in the UK um, said that they had a pretty significant uptick in activity levels in Q4 because of you know the lower mortgage rates in the UK. And to me, that's a signal that despite the high interest rate level we have, the, 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 the quarter, the minute we have a lower interest rate level, it just immediately kicks into uh, additional activity. For me, that's a sign that you cannot cut interest rates too aggressively at this point. If you do that, I think you're risking from a central bank perspective to reheat you know, the real estate market, reheat the economy. Um, at least that's a, it's, a, it's a risk. Again, it's a small sampling size. I just thought it was an, an interesting anecdotal thing to hear that this morning. And if I may add, especially in the UK, where you have wages uh, growing still above 7% and True. inflation, it's still like uh, more than double where um, the central bank wants it to be. So it's definitely a very dangerous, uh, um, um, it's a very dangerous and volatile uh, year, I would say, for central banks. And also when we look at the ECB, it is true that we have a shallow recession um, and activity has dropped pronouncedly. But then when we look at core inflation, it remains at 4%. Um, so the big question here is the ECB going uh, to be really dovish against the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England at the cost of the euro uh, when core inflation remains uh, double uh, the, 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 the ECB target. So definitely um, something to think of. Uh, but the other scenario, the second scenario I talk about is uh, a hard landing. So here we are talking about a blown out recession. And with a blown out recession, then definitely we are going to have a bull steepening because uh, the Federal Reserve might cut six or more times. Um, and in that uh, scenario, the long part of the yield curve is going to rally, but the front part is the one that is going to rally the fastest. So how to take advantage of this is just building a ladder 
um, portfolio that takes advantage and is exposed to different maturities uh, in, in the yield curve. Um, then we have the final and the tail scenario that nobody right now is talking about, right, Peter? I mean, I, I think that this scenario is being completely trashed yeah. for quite I some agree. time. I agree, yeah. Um, and that's the 70s scenario. What if um, central banks are fast in declaring victory um, against inflation and uh, they cut rates, uh, but that fuels a new wave of inflation and they need to pivot, they need to hike again, they need to do something again. Um, so that's the most dangerous uh, scenario. Because uh, at that point, instead of seeing a steepening of the yield curve, uh, we will witness uh, to a flattening of the yield curve. Um, the front part stays elevating, elevated, the longer part uh, drops, um, but not, um, not enough uh, to gain from current levels. Because remember, there is a second wave of inflations. And uh, therefore... Uh, within this scenario, bonds, it will be almost a repeat of 2022 uh, and central banks uh, will be in a very hard place because at this point, uh, the uh, an upcoming recession is guaranteed. All right. Um, we are almost running out of time here. So we need to be a little bit conscious here about time. Um, one of your points in the call out, look, I don't think you need to expand on it. I think it's almost given. And that is that the geopolitical risk risks the, uh, this year, uh, potentially something that could rock the boat uh, for, for fixed income, equities, all markets. It's the biggest election year we have had in modern times. There's so much at stake. And of course, we're going to talk much more about elections going forward. We have a big one already coming up this weekend with the, the general election in Taiwan. Uh, we have US later. Um, maybe touch a little bit while we have a, a minute or so on in the outlook, you talk about you like sovereigns more than credit, and if you do want credit, then you have to be selective. Maybe you just you know give a little bit of color to to that viewpoint. It's very simple, uh, Peter. So we are um, living in a in an environment with very high interest rates, the highest we have seen uh, in in more than twenty years, uh, and uh, the economy. Uh, is deteriorating uh, quickly. That means uh, lower revenues and uh, more compressed uh, margins. That's definitely negative uh, for corporations. And uh, at the same time, when we look at uh, the pickup uh, that uh, corporate spreads offer over U.S. treasuries is around uh, um, 300 basis points, uh, which is uh, where they traded uh, uh, between 2010 and 2020. So the current valuations, even though they offer uh, very high absolute nominal yields, uh, um, they are not in line uh, and they don't show the distress that might be uh, coming. So it's very important to be selective. Um, I still think that there is some value, um, in, especially in investment grade uh, uh, corporate bonds, uh, but it's very uh, important to do bottom-up analysis, understanding uh, what uh, one is holding. And when you compare the risk-free rate, which is a U.S. Treasury still offering 4%, uh, then that, uh, that it's much more compelling. All right. Um, I think that takes us to the end. Um, great points, Altea, on the bonds. Once again, um, well, Bill Gross uh, definitely thinks that the 4% here in the U.S. 10-year yield is not attractive. 
think about that for a minute or two. Um, and then, yeah, we're getting the inflation report tomorrow. Going to be interesting to see how the market reacts. Think about the different three scenarios, soft landing, hot landing, and the 70s scenario that Altea said. And we remain more bullish on sovereigns than, than credit bonds. But um, this was the first fixed income podcast of the year. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.